Hello and welcome to Hell No, a true crime podcast with your host, Lauren Lucio. This week, we're going to be talking about a criminal attorney, a woman with many aliases, embezzlement, a whole lot of lies, and of course, murder. A body was found by workers in a vineyard in Linden, California, but police thought this can't be the person that we're looking for. This can't be our missing person because we've been looking for that person for months and this body is pretty freshly buried and the decomposition doesn't add up with the time frame. So whose body was this? It was 5 a.m. in California, just a half hour before the World Trade Center was attacked on September 11th, making it 8 a.m. in New York. While people in New York were in traffic and shuffling briskly on the street to get to work, Elisa McNabney was on a horse showgrounds in California walking her dog in the fresh morning air. She was in the midst of planning her own attack. Larry McNabney, born December 19, 1948, to father Mac McNabney and mother Marie Williams McNabney. Larry also had a brother named Jimmy. His father Mac had fought in World War II and the Korean War. When Mac came home from the war, he had become a different man and he was drinking a lot. November 17, 1970, Marie filed for divorce because she could, she could no longer be married to the man that Mac had become. After the divorce, about a week later, Mac shot and killed himself. Three weeks after that, Larry's brother Jimmy died of suicide by overdose. Larry would have been in his early 20s at this stage and was attending law school and also seemed to take on his father's drinking habits. The death of his father and brother was no doubt hard for him, but he stayed focused. And by June 1974, Larry graduated from law school and went to take the bar exam to practice law in both California and Nevada, which of course he passed. He was a very smart man. Despite his drinking problem, he was an amazing trial lawyer and people talked about how he was a gun in the courtroom. After a few years, Larry and a man named Ron Bath became law partners in criminal law. Um, They bought an old mansion and transformed it into their law offices, and business was booming. The two worked mostly in criminal law and even worked on a high-profile murder case in Reno in 1979. Not on the prosecution side of things, but instead Larry was a defense lawyer. They were known as the top lawyers in the area. By the 1980s, Larry was using cocaine and drinking a lot, so he checked himself into rehab. And when he got out, he was running marathons and he was incredibly fit. By 1986, he was drinking again and going through a third divorce. By 1987, he got married again to his fourth wife. In 1988, Larry was involved in an incredibly stressful court case that landed him in a treatment center after he was found in his home holding a gun and a bottle of scotch when he was due back in the courtroom. He eventually went back to finish the case a week later when he got out of the treatment center. Soon after this, him and his fourth wife divorced. 
Larry needed a break from the world that he knew involving courtrooms and divorces. He met another woman and he took up carpentry, which he loved. He had a change of life and shed his skin, so to speak. Larry and his new love moved to Washington State to a town called Yelm in 1989. They moved there to join Ramtha's School of Enlightenment. I looked up this School of Enlightenment and it has many elements of a cult and was even called a cult in a lot of articles I skimmed over. The woman who started the school, Judith Knight, also known as Jay-Z, said Ramtha had showed himself to her and he identified as a 35,000 year old um, being that speaks through her and can teach and can teach enlightenment. The school did cost money of course because we all know enlightenment is anything but free. So from 1990 to 1992, Larry was working as a carpenter in Yelm and attending the School of Enlightenment. Larry was happy and even changed his name from Larry to Shantar to represent his new enlightened carpenter life. But the cult became too authoritarian for him, as cults often do. Larry, he didn't want to drink the Kool-Aid, so to speak. Um, fun fact, actually, in Jonestown, they, um, they, it wasn't Kool-Aid. It was a discounted brand called Flavor-Aid. But anyways, we'll talk about Jonestown on a later day. Today, we're talking about Ramtha. It was around this time Larry's mother had passed away and by 1993 he returned back to Nevada and got back into law, but this time specializing in personal injury claims. He set up in Reno, but also had an office in Las Vegas. Larry was advertising like crazy and throwing money at marketing, spending as much as $50,000 a month. His practice took off and he was very successful yet again in the world of law. His Las Vegas office was really upscale looking with a giant fish tank, leasing nice furniture and setting up in a beautifully decorated building. When it came time to staff his office, he put out ads in the paper. And in 1995, Elisa Ruddlesberger met Larry when she went into his law firm in Las Vegas to apply for a job. She was so persistent, he gave her one as an office manager on the spot. She was also very good looking and charming, and it seems like Larry has a soft spot for pretty women. Soon after this, money seemed to be missing. So who is this woman he gave a job to? Uh, 29-year-old Elisa Rettelsberger in 1995 was the woman, and Larry thought she was brilliant and soon came to like her a lot more than an employee. But what he didn't know was she has had more than 30 identities over the years and had even spent some time in prison for theft and fraud. Alisa wasn't even her real name. Her real name was Lauren Sims, born 1966 to Jesse and Jackie Sims. Lauren was an incredibly bright child, but she developed a wild side and dropped out of high school in 1984 and married a man named Scott. She was in her last year of school when she dropped out. The next January, she had their baby girl, but then they divorced. Lauren got into a new relationship and gave birth to her second child with 
this new man and gave birth to her son on March 17th, 1986. But then that relationship ended. She did go back to school and and she did finish high school and also went to college and became a dental technician. She was then caught stealing a cheap box of hair dye from a Woolworths in Florida and was issued a fine and probation. After this, she started stealing from people who she thought deserved it, like a neighbor she was having an argument with and she broke into her house and stole her telephone and some ceramic flowers. Then she broke in and stole some stuff from her current boyfriend's ex-wife, including an answering machine, her vehicle, clothing, and some jewelry. In 1989, Lauren was arrested for the burglaries. Um, They discovered she had also been selling the items to pawn shops. Lauren pled guilty and was put on probation for five years and was made to pay restitutions. Four months later, she started writing bad checks to pay for shopping sprees, which was of course against her parole. And in just a three month period, she wrote 18 bad checks. She was evicted from where she was living, stole the furniture and fixtures, didn't tell her parole officer her new address, and was just wilding out. Police arrested her on August 24th, 1989. After being released, her parole officer was now looking for her, but she had fled. Eventually, they arrested her again for violation of parole, and everything was just a real mess in her life at this stage. She ended up getting a three-year prison sentence, but just a few months after that, she was back in court and ended up being released from prison. After being released from prison, she was in a bar in Tampa, Florida, where she met a police officer and went home with him. As he slept, she robbed him and used his credit cards and, you know, really went to town with that. She then got caught and went back to prison for this incident. In 1992, she was eligible for parole and went on work release. But 1993, she was back in jail. But her lawyer got the court to release her on probation under the condition she had to wear an ankle bracelet to monitor her. She was working at the time and was released with her ankle monitor. One day, she stole her boss's credit card and put $180 worth of charges on it. One of the charges was a $2.95 charge for a child's plate of macaroni she bought her daughter at a restaurant which for some reason makes me feel for this woman because it's such an innocent purchase but she was eventually arrested for credit card fraud as it was again a violation of her parole but guess what she did she cut her ankle monitor off and fled to las vegas in 1994 she was going by the name elizabeth barosh This is one of over 30 fake names she was known by. A name she had stolen from a woman she knew in prison. With this new name, she got a job in an office of a businessman and soon legally married him. And this is when her name changed to Elizabeth Redelsberger. Elisa being short for Elizabeth. They eventually got divorced and she fleeced him for thousands of dollars. I think it was like $50,000 or something. Not long after this, in 1995, she walked into Larry's office looking for a job where she got one 
And then soon after, thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars were missing from Larry's firm, like over $100,000. Larry looked into the missing money as checks were bouncing and discovered it was Elisa's doing. Elisa was then banned from the law office, but instead of firing her, he married her. This woman is, she's got magical powers. People were very confused by this, but mentioned in the book about this case that perhaps Larry knew the money was being embezzled because Elisa had asked somebody, I I believe it was another lawyer, and she had asked him that if she married Larry, then she can't testify against him in court as the issue was in fact going to court. And shortly after this is when Larry and Elisa got married, making Elisa Larry's fifth marriage. And yet again, Elisa changed her name to Elisa McNabney. It is possible that perhaps maybe Elisa married Larry um, to protect him, you know, because she had to test, she wouldn't be able to testify against her husband, or there was some speculation, perhaps she was blackmailing him. And maybe Larry had been in on the embezzling. One night in 1998, Larry's son said something to him like, you don't seem happy in your marriage. Why don't you end it? And Larry replied, he can't afford to leave her. She could ruin him. That's as far as that conversation went and no more was said or asked about it. Larry was drinking and using drugs again and also seemed to rack up an $80,000 American Express bill. Elisa seemed to be encouraging Larry's wild side instead of trying to rein it in. One spring, they wanted to take a trip to Cancun with friends, but obviously since Elisa isn't actually who she says she is, she didn't even have a driver's license, so she most certainly didn't have a passport. But Larry somehow magically obtained one for her, which means he would have known she was going by an alias and probably would have found out her criminal background. Larry was smart and he worked as a criminal lawyer for a long time so he could probably spot the red flags but this marriage seemed to be balancing on lies secrets and blackmail. They did end up going to Cancun and the friends that went with them said that Larry and Elisa argued a lot during the trip. After this trip uh, Lisa was no longer banned from the law office and went back to work for Larry in in the law office the law firm was still under investigation and although a lot of money was put back that was missing um, elisa did have to testify in court and after this elisa was legally barred from the law office so before she was banned now she's legally barred she's legally not allowed in there the firm then had a public record so really if anyone wanted to look up the firm they would find unsavory information about it Larry sold the building the firm was in and after moving around a bit he and Elisa moved to Sacramento California in 1998 where he could practice law and Elisa could work in his law firm because it was a different state Um, and at this time Elisa was basically running the firm while Larry partied and golfed. Larry would drink a bottle of vodka during an 18-hole golf game and still drive home. In 1999, after Larry and Elisa moved to Elk Grove, California, that's where they met Gregory Whalens, who got them interested in showing American quarter horses as that's the business Gregory was in. 
Elisa and Larry had a horse and then bought another one and sold one and then bought another one. Larry really liked showing horses and soon they were traveling around to horse shows all around America and he was really good at it. Back at the law firm, Elisa had hired a woman named Sarah Dutra, who was a 21-year-old art student at the time, 11 years younger than Elisa. Elisa and Sarah became really close friends. Money was going missing again, and somehow Elisa was buying Sarah fur coats, clothes, jewelry, and even a car, a nice car. When Sarah moved to Italy for school, Elisa would fly her back for visits, saying it was to discuss the website Sarah was building for them for the horse showing business. Elisa would tell Sarah lies about Larry to make him look bad. Like she said one time Larry beat her so bad she needed reconstructive surgery on her face, which that never happened. She also told Sarah that Larry would keep all her identification and hide it from her so she couldn't leave him. That would explain why she never had a license or ID on her, but this also doesn't seem to be true. Larry was really into the horse showing and wanted to go further and start breeding the horses, but he finally got caught drinking and driving after a golf game when he ran a driver off the road who followed him and then called police. The police arrived and Larry tried to run out the back of his house, but the police ended up running after him, jumping on him, catching him. Then he tested way, way, way over the legal amount um, for driving. He tested 0.28, which is three times the limit in that state. uh, 0.34 can be a lethal level. This made Larry really depressed and didn't end up breeding horses. He went into his law offices less and less. Elisa ended up paying the driver who was run off the road something like $30,000. So it was speculated that perhaps Larry didn't have insurance or a more salacious accusation was maybe she set it up. Maybe this was somehow, you know, her getting money from this. In 2001, Larry bought a horse um, and named it Just a Lot of Page, and he bought this horse from his new friend Gregory Whalen. And this horse was amazing as far as American quarter horses go. It was pretty much creme de la crop. Larry bought it for $12,000, but once trained and ready, they can go for six figures. Horse shows were rich person's business they would have cocktail parties drive the best vehicles wear the best clothes and show expensive horses for racing barrel jumping and other horse sports larry seemed to always have a glass of chardonnay in his hand but it was often more than just wine as he would add vodka in it for an extra kick he was drinking heavily it was also said that larry was using drugs again as well Larry didn't like that Elisa and Sarah were hanging out so much and were really good friends. He had even told someone that he caught them in bed once together, um, but later on they deny any romantic relationship between the two of them. In September 2001, Larry and Elisa were at a horse show to show the horse, just a lot of page, about 40 minutes from LA. Friends were noticing that Larry and Elisa had tension between them and that Larry was acting odd. Larry seemed out of it and confused. 
Sarah also showed up at the horse show and they went out for dinner with some friends. I believe it was a Olive Garden. And at this dinner, Larry called Sarah a bitch. He was like, hey, you, you're a bitch. Which this does not go over well with the upscale crowd they were hanging out with. Larry got so drunk that night, he had to be carried out of the restaurant. But he was a seasoned drinker so usually he could hold his booze a lot better so maybe something else was in his system sarah told people she was leaving that night to drive back to sacramento the next day elisa and another woman from the horse show were getting the horses ready in the barn when elisa asked the woman if a certain medication they used to sometimes sedate the horses could kill a human the woman didn't think much about the comment and just told elisa that it's meant to sedate a 1400 pound animal so it would for sure kill a human it would be months later before that woman would be haunted by that conversation later that day larry and gregory and some friends were discussing dinner plans while larry handed out glasses of white wine to them but larry said he was tired so he would probably take a pass on the dinner to get some sleep That night, Gregory and another horse trainer, Debbie, went out for dinner and called Larry to tell him the soup was good and to maybe reconsider, but Larry declined. Soon after that, Elisa joined them and then she called Larry to ask if he wanted anything brought up to the room and he said he wanted wine. So Elisa got him a bowl of soup and two glasses of wine and brought it up to Larry. The next morning on September 11th, 2001, at 5 a.m. California time, Elisa was out walking her dog on the horse show grounds when she sees Gregory heading to the barn to tend to the horses. And Elisa tells him that Larry and her had a fight and he left to go get on a flight and he was going back to the cult. Gregory thought it was odd, but maybe he knew that Larry had been in a cult before or or not. I don't know, but he didn't press for information. A half hour later in New York, it was 8.30 a.m. and the first plane had crashed into the north building of the World Trade Center. Anyone in that building between the 93rd and 99th floor were in direct impact zone. The day September 11th, also known as 9-11, was a very memorable day, and even still, people can recall exactly where, where they were when it happened, but not Larry. When Gregory returned to his room, he saw the news and also saw that all flights were grounded. So if Larry left aboard a flight, surely he wasn't able to, and he thought he'd see him come back. Debbie had also heard about Larry's leaving soon after Gregory did. Around 7 a.m., Debbie sees Sarah and told her she thought that she had left, but Sarah said she flew back the night before because Elisa had called her and told her how how crazy um, Larry was being. Sarah did, in fact, arrive the night before, and she ended up staying in Larry's truck. Her Sarah and Elisa stayed in Larry's truck that night just smoking weed and um, you know periodically going up to the room to check on Larry so they say. So just after 9 a.m. Debbie sees Sarah and Elisa driving Larry's truck and they stopped to talk to Debbie telling her they needed to go to the bank to be sure Larry didn't clean out the bank accounts. Debbie can see inside the bed of 
the pickup truck and she notices there's a wheelchair and two brand new shovels. Being on horse showgrounds, shovels are a common tool, but she did remember thinking how odd the wheelchair was. What Debbie didn't see through the dark tinted windows was Larry, drugged out of his mind on horse tranquilizer, laying in the back seat. As far as she knew, Larry had gone off to join a cult. Elisa and Sarah had drugged Larry that morning by putting the tranquilizer in his drink. Then when they had him back into the hotel room, they injected him with with more. There was also talk about um, a Visine bottle they had filled with the tranquilizer and put the drops in his mouth as he lay asleep on the bed. Later that morning, they put Larry in a wheelchair and took him out of the hotel and into the back seat of the truck to drive him out into the desert to bury him. And that's when Debbie had seen them. But the tranquilizers hadn't killed him. Larry was still conscious enough to ask for water, which Elisa gave him several times out of a water bottle, which may have contained more tranquilizer. Larry was still alive and was going in and out of hallucinations, but not conscious enough to defend himself. He was telling Elisa she wouldn't get away with it and asked her why she was doing this. Sarah and Elisa drove Larry to Yosemite where they planned to bury him and Sarah even got out and started digging a grave, but since he was still alive, they didn't bury him. Instead, they drove to Elisa and Larry's home in Woodridge, California. According to what Elisa tells police later, around 6 a.m., so the the next morning after they get back to their house, uh, Larry, she, from what she could see, Larry had, had died um, during the night. And she said that her and Sarah wrapped Larry's body in a sheet and then wrapped that together with duct tape before placing him in the refrigerator in the garage, which they also wrapped in duct tape. Larry's body remained there for three months. The next day, Elisa drove Larry's truck back to the horse show and started giving away Larry's things. His good friend Gregory accepted his golf clubs because he planned to give them back to Larry or to Larry's son. Um, and I'm sure he would have given them back to Larry when Larry returned back from the cult because he had done that once before. Gregory found a vial of heroin in the golf bag and he flushed it down the toilet. That was you know, we're not sure whose that is, but there was rumor, you know, Elisa did tell police later that Larry had been smoking heroin. Elisa was wearing Larry's gold Rolex and even sold his truck that was worth $50,000 for under $30,000 to a guy at the horse show, taking quite a significant loss. Elisa and Sarah returned to the law office and they were running it together as if nothing had happened. One of Larry's clients was set to receive over a $100,000 settlement but never received the check. So she kept calling and even, you know, going into the office to try to get it but was always giving given excuses as to where the check was by Elisa. A woman working as a secretary at the office, Ginger, was getting suspicious as she was getting calls about rent not being paid and she realized she had never met Larry or seen him around and when she would ask about him, Elisa didn't like to talk about it. 
Um, and she noticed Elisa had quite an anger problem. Elisa and Sarah were giving her conflicting excuses as to where he was. Like one day they would say, oh, he's golfing today. But the other one would say, oh, he's skiing today. But it would be on the same day. Ginger eventually ends up talking to Miss Carter, the woman who was looking for her settlement check. And around this time, Ginger, Ginger's paychecks, they start bouncing. Ginger eventually reports Larry missing um, to police, but the report at that time wasn't taken seriously. Late November, the police get another call, this time anonymous, about Larry missing, but this also wasn't taken seriously and no report was even made. But from Ginger's report, the police looked up Larry's name and saw he had an outstanding warrant for not completing his community service from the DUI. Also, Miss Carter had been to speak to police about Larry's law firm withholding her settlement check. So together, this got the police's attention. Once they realized they couldn't get a hold of Larry, they get serious. Elisa gets a call from police saying someone has reported Larry missing and they need to to talk to him. This makes Elisa really angry and she calls Larry's son and asks him, hey, did you report your father missing? Because he's not. He ran away to live on a commune and I don't know why you would call him that he's missing and blah, 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 blah. So Larry's son was like, no, I had not reported my father missing. I didn't think he was missing. Bye-bye. But he also was like now I think my father's missing so then he calls police to report his father missing. January 10th 2002 police come looking for Elisa and Larry but find the house has been emptied so they go to his office and find that is also empty and shut down. They don't know what to make of this. They don't know if, you know, the two stole all the money from their clients and went on the run or if they were dead or if they were kidnapped or what. They are, they, they're like, what is happening right now? Rumors had been going around the horse showing community that Larry was dead. Everything was cleared out of their home, including the refrigerator in the garage that once held Larry's body. So... What happened to Larry's body that Elisa and Sarah had duct taped into that refrigerator? Well, a couple weeks before police came knocking, Elisa started to get anxious as the police were now looking for Larry and she had somehow found out that Ginger had called police about it. She also received a phone call from someone in the horse showing community asking her if Larry was dead because there were some rumors going around. It was around December 12th she knew she had to finally get his body out of the house. Elisa later tells police that Sarah helped her load Larry's body into the Jaguar and drive it to Las Vegas where they planned to bury him but the ground was too hard so they ended up leaving him in the trunk of the car while they stay in the hotel room. The next day according to Elisa her and Sarah buried him in the vineyard um back in california they took larry's body out to the vineyard and buried him as she thought it was appropriate because of how much he loved wine but in her written confession she claimed sarah didn't help her and it was just her who buried larry in the vineyard the day after that is when she started to plan her exit. So with Larry's body buried, the house and offices cleared out and all the assets sold off, where was Elisa now? 
Police try looking her up, but they can't find anything on her. No driver's license, no traffic tickets, no nothing. This woman basically didn't exist. So they search her name before it was McNabney and look up Elizabeth Barash and find that woman's in prison. So they get the photo to confirm that it's not Elisa and they're like, let's go talk to this woman. So they contact this person and show her Elisa's picture and she said, oh, I know her. She was in prison with me. They end up finding out Elisa is actually Lauren Sims and has a lengthy record as well as many, many, many different identities. This just adds more questions and more confusion to the investigation. January 15th, Sarah calls police and says she heard about Larry's missing persons report and she's concerned about the car and red Jaguar that Elisa had leased in Sarah's name and that she couldn't find Elisa. Police bring her in for questioning, but she lies to them, you know. In fact, all all up in the end, she gives police five different stories before telling them the truth much later on in the investigation. In the meantime, Elisa, aka Lauren, so if you hear me say Elisa or a switch between Elisa and Lauren, it's because they're the same person. Okay, so in the meantime, Elisa, aka Lauren, uh, did have the car that was leased in Sarah's name and she was headed to Arizona with her daughter and they both had new names. She had told her daughter that they needed to flee because she was wanted for kidnapping her own daughter years ago. So her daughter was like, oh, okay. Um, so Alisa, aka Lauren, was now going by the name Shane Ivoroni, and her daughter, whose real name was Haley, was now going by the name Penelope, which she had picked for herself. While fleeing, they were pulled over by police in a different state for speeding. Elisa didn't even have a driver's license, so she thought she was for sure going to get caught. But instead, she just smiled and talked her way right out of it. The cop just let her go. Eventually, they end up in Mississippi, and although it's only late January, so less than a month since she fled, she was low on money. As um, as she's driving in her red Jaguar, a guy pulls up beside her who is also driving a red Jaguar, and he tells her, nice car, and she sees an opportunity. She gives him a nice alluring smile and soon he is taking her to a casino nearby and he is winning money and he's giving her cash. He is so taken by Elisa, um, who is now known as Shane, so this gets even more confusing, that he takes her to a golf tournament the next day and then wouldn't you know it, he offers her and her daughter to move into a condo he owns in Florida with him. And she's like, yeah, okay, yeah, I guess we can do that. Yeah, no worries. Okay, yeah, I'll move in with you. And just like that, a new con is on. In just a couple months, Elisa had got credit cards in his name and was spending like crazy again. The guy found out about it and he was like, what the fuck is going on? Like, you and your daughter need to get out of here right now. But he went a step further as well. After they left, he called the new job that Elisa Larn Shane was working at. And it was a law office as well. Surprise, surprise. And he tells them that, you know, she's a thief and she's stolen from her from him. 
and exposed her as a thief. The law firm asked her about this and she was like, no, but then you know what she did. She jumped in her car and fled. The police were called and given Elisa's uh, number plate of her car, which of course came up with Sarah's name. So that night, Elisa went to the bar, met another man, went home with him, and as he slept, she stole his truck and his money. She is, she's good at what she does, I'll give her that. The guy ended up driving her car to work because he didn't know what else to do. Um, he was a local dry cleaner in the area, so he drove her red Jaguar to work. Police are driving around. They spot the red Jaguar. They pull in. They're like, whose car is this? He's like, it's a woman I met at the bar. She stole all my shit last night. And they were like, yep, that's her. So, but it was too late. Elisa and her daughter, they were gone. They were out of state headed to Georgia. Once in Georgia, her 17-year-old daughter was like, why do we keep running she was sick of it she was making friends she was getting boyfriends and then she was just torn out of it and she was she wasn't happy with this she was 17 at this time as well and elisa just told her everything she came clean she's like you're old enough to hear this i'm going to tell you everything from the beginning and she told her the truth the next day she drove her daughter back to florida to her friends and told her to you know just go live your life without me that day elisa wrote her daughter an eight page suicide letter she then went to the beach to smoke the rest of her weed and then was going to walk into the ocean and never come out of it alive but police had learned she was there as they had had her daughter's friends places under surveillance and they couldn't believe it when they saw elisa's daughter get out of a cab right in front of them they asked her where her mother was and she told them as elisa sat peacefully on the beach accepting her soon-to-be death and smoking her weed she saw the glow of lights light up the sky she knew it was all over one way or another march 18th she was arrested for the last time in her life meanwhile sarah had been talking to police um, quite a few times actually she's given them quite a few stories back in California she's saying you know she had no idea that Larry was going to die she's saying she didn't know that he was drugged then she's saying maybe he was drugged maybe there was drugs in the water bottle that Elisa was giving him one month earlier february 5th workers are in the vineyard where elisa had buried larry the workers had their dog with them and when they could hear the dog barking and going crazy they had to see what was happening and when they walked over to have a look they see a human leg bone sticking out of the ground insects and small animals had eaten the flesh the police were notified around 4 p.m. when they looked up missing persons, uh, Larry's report came up, but they didn't think it was him as he was reported missing months ago and this body was only recently buried. It wasn't until they saw a tattoo on the body that matched a tattoo that Larry had had and they started to think, okay maybe this is larry so they excavate his body it was sent off for an autopsy and fingerprints confirmed it was in fact larry so this just adds more questions to the investigation they have no idea what's going on they figured out that the body must have been kept in a fridge 
because the you know it, it didn't decompose as, as fast as it would have if it had been out there for that long and because of a large bruise on the back where he would have been placed in the fridge it also meant he was still alive because if you're dead you don't bruise but this was a large bruise on his back meaning he was placed that way in the fridge so then they're like okay well how could this happen so then they're like well maybe he was sedated and then they're like okay well we know that he was in the horse showing community and we also know that horses have some very strong tranquilizers so let's ask the lab to test for every possible horse tranquilizer they checked Larry's blood for possible drugs that could have been used to sedate him and the lab found exilazine. Exilazine isn't used recreationally at all because it's so lethal. Exilazine isn't used recreationally at all. It's so lethal. It's not a fun high you know nobody uses it and when I say nobody uses it and when I say they don't use it at all I mean never ever 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 like it's people just wouldn't sell it people wouldn't take it it's just it's it's not a street drug in fact the only time that this is found in humans is for suicide or murder it is a terrible way to go and takes hours and hours that feels like slow motion and then eventually slows down breathing and it feels like drowning and then death larry had 27 times the lethal dose in his blood and 270 times the lethal dose in his liver. So he was heavily dosed with this, making them think, you know, how how could this happen? Like this, it's, I, they didn't think that he could do this to himself, I'll tell you that. During Lisa's questioning by police, she confessed to killing Larry. She said that her and Sarah were talking about killing Larry a few days before they did it. She said that Larry was already recreationally taking horse tranquilizers, and that's what gave her the idea to drug him that way. But Larry was probably taking ketamine, which is a recreational street drug, while Elisa she went to go get horse tranquilizers and there was three different ones and she grabbed exilazine because she just thought you know they're all the same this was the only time elisa was ever questioned at the age of 36 years old on march 31st almost two weeks after being arrested lauren sims aka elisa mcnabney hung herself in her prison cell Although she was on suicide watch and was supposed to be seen every 15 minutes, nobody was watching her as she tore up a bed sheet, braided it together, attached it to a vent on the ceiling, and wrapped it around her neck. She left a note for her daughter explaining that she might be able to get some money out of this because of the negligence of the guards. They were supposed to be signing a you know, a piece of paper every 15 minutes saying that they saw her and that she was fine because she was on suicide watch. But she claimed they weren't doing this. And, you know, because she had worked in law offices, she knew that maybe her daughter could sue them and get some money for this. So basically said stuff like that. With Elisa now dead, it only left Sarah to stand trial. 
Sarah, she had been questioned by police um, many times, and um, it was Detective Shuffle who was working the case. And she would question Sarah um, about what had happened, and she would get different answers every time, and it runs through about five different stories. I listened to all five of the stories, um, and yeah, they're all a little bit different. So by the time that Sarah's trial started, January 6, 2003, she was facing a first-degree murder charge and a accessory after the fact charge. All five of her different stories were brought up in the trial, which slaughtered her credibility. They didn't believe her when she said she didn't know Larry was dying in the back of the truck that day that they drove from the horse show. The the prosecutor also had a videotaped confession that she said she helped put Larry's body in the refrigerator. In the end of it all, she was found guilty for voluntary manslaughter and accessory after the fact and was given a prison sentence of 11 years. In late August 2011, Sarah, now 31 years old, was released from prison and given three years parole, which she would be in the custody of her parents. In total, she served eight years. I couldn't find anything about what she's doing now, but she would be 42 years old now. In my opinion, I think Sarah got wrapped up in the lavish lifestyle that Elisa was offering her, and before she knew it, you know, she was in too deep. I don't think Sarah is the cold-blooded killer in this situation, just, you know, a young girl who got involved in a situation that snowballed into something she couldn't handle. Elisa, or Lauren, or whatever her identities you want to say, she lived fast and loose. She didn't seem to think about, you know, the long-term consequences of her actions. She just seemed to, you know, think what she could get then and there. When things got too heated, she would up and leave changing her identity. After she killed Larry and went on the run, she lost 30 pounds and dyed her hair a different color. She looked like a different person when they arrested her. She was smart, cunning, and charming, uh, so charming, and given a, and you know, like, had she had taken a different path in life, she could have been very successful in a multitude of industries. Like, she was so creative with all of her, you know, aliases, those fake names, all of the lies she could come up with. She could have been a writer. She could have wrote, you know, crime thrillers. She could have wrote for TV shows. She was so convincing. She could have even been a lawyer. She was so good at acting. And and by all accounts, she was very good looking. She could have even went into, you know, like television or, or movies. But instead, for some reason, she chose to go down a path which perhaps offered her more thrills. Maybe she was seeking that adrenaline rush of getting away with things and being on the run. Who knows? Larry had his faults, but, you know, he never deserved to be drugged and killed slowly, then stuffed in a fridge still alive for three months, then buried in a shallow grave only to be found by an overzealous, you know, dog gnawing on his leg bone. He could have lived out his days showing horses, drinking glasses of white wine spiked with vodka, and you'd probably have been content. So I have empathy for everyone in this situation, but what Elisa did, that's, no, that's never justified by any means. So to Lauren, Elisa, Redis, Redis, 
Redelsberger, Barish, Sims, McNabby, Ivoroni, and all her other 36 names, I say, hell no. That concludes this week's episode, and thanks for listening. Don't forget to check out Hell No's Instagram page at Hell No A True Crime Podcast on Instagram and the Facebook page. Also, now there's a group you can join to see images of the people involved in this case, as well as news articles I have also linked. And the book I got a lot of my information from, I'll link all that in my show notes. The book is called Cold-Blooded and was written by Carlton Smith. See you next week.